There are many different passages in the Bible that believers through the centuries have found to be their favorites for one reason or another, and we're in mine. John 15, 1 through 7 is a passage that I consider home. I have many critically important and very special verses that I turn to for different reasons, but I love to go home to Jesus by reading and reflecting on the truth that he tells us right here in John 15. He is the vine and I am a branch and God is the vine dresser. So it's been a very special delight for me to study the whole context of Jesus' declaration and to gain further understanding of this passage. It's more and more meaningful and just love that God's word is living. There is always more that we can gain or be refreshed and reminded by when we study his word. In our homework lessons, we studied the details and word definitions, but our study is not supposed to leave us with an academic knowledge of what is being said. I want you to get more than that. I want this to connect with your heart. The most important thing for us to take away from this passage is understanding that believing in Jesus, knowing him, gives us an experience that is like nothing else. There is no relationship, no friendship, no association, no religion, no philosophy. There is nothing like what we have in Christ. There is nothing like abiding in Christ. To abide in Christ is to experience an intimate relationship with Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, abide in me, he presented the privilege of a connection with him. And he knew that this would best be illustrated by considering the vineyard with its vines and branches and fruit. And that's really awesome to think about. This is the picture that Jesus knew would best illustrate our intimate relationship with him, the vine and the branches. God is infinite and throughout the Bible, he's revealed himself through many images and examples, but nothing represents the most important, critical, life-giving relationship like the vine and the branches. I mean, Jesus is the rock, but you don't suck life out of the rock. <laughs> we stand on the rock. He is solid as a rock. He, we are, he is steadfast and secure and nothing's going to break him. But we get life from the vine when we know him that way and that we're a branch. So the vine and the branches, it is easy to understand the most basic aspect of this illustration. So let's have a lesson in Viticulture 101. Viticulture is the study of grapes and grapevines, the cultivation of grapevines. So Jesus is the true vine and we are the branches. The first fill in the blank there is a branch that is not connected to the vine has no life. Viticulture 101. I mean, the branch gets its life from the vine. 
Jesus prepared his disciples for the new life that they were about to receive through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Please remember that the main point of the chapters that we're studying, the main point of his message was that he was sending the Holy Spirit to be in those who believe in him. I watched a video of a modern day vine dresser grafting a branch onto a vine. He used a special cutting tool and he cut the vine into a particular, this tool cuts it into a particular shape and it had a, a flat straight edge and then a surface that then that was the supporting edge. So I'll just use my fingers like this. And then he cut the branch with the same tool. So it had the same shape and they were able to fit perfectly together. The branch must fit perfectly into the vine to be grafted into the vine. And that illustration shows us what Jesus did for us through his death on the cross. You could consider that him as the vine being cut. He bore our sin and made a way for us to receive forgiveness. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. And when we believe in him and what he did for us, then that cuts us we were crucified with Christ. Our old self is cut away, made, we're dead to it. So that cutting puts us in the right shape to be fitted to him. We don't fit next to Jesus with Jesus when we are in sin and in our sin nature before being forgiven. We have to be cleaned up. So through his death and resurrection, through giving us the Holy Spirit, he puts us in the right shape to be connected to him. Titus 3, 5 and 6 tells us that Jesus cleans us up through his Holy Spirit. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In this video, after the vine dresser cut the vine and the branch, and he put them together and they fit perfectly. Then he took special tape and wrapped them together and sealed them to each other. That too is what happened to us at salvation. We were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the branch is fitting perfectly next to the vine. It's sealed to the vine. And what happens next? The sap of the vine comes up into the branch that's been grafted on. And the branch now has life because the vine gives it. It's very logical. If that branch is not connected to the life-giving vine, the branch has no life. It's dead. A branch not connected is dead. It withers up. It dries up. It can't bear fruit. It must be connected to the vine. Have the life of the vine flowing into it. Well, where did the branch come from to begin with? It came from a different vine. What was wrong with that other vine? It's not the true vine. So now let's think about Viticulture 201 in this class is going to tell us about vines. 
there is only one true vine. That's your first fill in the blank. There is only one true vine. Jesus made this point when he said he's the true vine. So are there fake vines? You could say that. Any and every other vine will not produce the good fruit that is what God the Father, the vine dresser, is looking for in his vineyard. Fake vines produce wild grapes, sour grapes, bad fruit. They're the kind of fruit that make your face squinch up. <laughs> you, you don't like it. You don't want to eat it. Romans 7, 5 tells us about the, that bad fruit. When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. And Galatians five nineteen through 21 also tells us about bad fruit. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Are you squinching your face up? Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. So this is a long list, but not an exhaustive list of bad fruit. Paul says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice this, who practice their lifestyle, this is the fruit that they bear all the time. They're connected to bad vines. And this fruit is not just wild and sour. It is poisonous. It's lethal, deadly. It kills. Paul says this. Sinful passions bear fruit to death. The Old Testament frequently refers to Israel as a vine that God planted. God, as the vine dresser, had a plan for Israel, but they failed to be the fruit producing vine that he wanted them to be. Jeremiah 2.21 explains this briefly and bluntly. God says, I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? No good. They are producing sour grapes. It was sinful, selfish, and sour. So God sent his son, Jesus, to do the work and produce the fruit that Israel was not capable of producing. And Jesus is the true vine. There is a contrast between Jesus and Israel. Israel was the vine. Jesus is the true vine. But I want to mention that this does not mean that God has finished with Israel. And it's very important today, right now, with what's going on in Israel for me to bring this up. Jeremiah says in chapter 29, 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Right now we're watching Israel being attacked by terrorists and protested against. And the cold, hard, horrible facts are that there are people who hate Israel and they hate Jews. They want to get rid of them. But God has made promises. He has made beautiful promises. He's made a covenant with Israel and he keeps his promises. He's faithful. Those promises will be fulfilled through Jesus Christ, 
the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Everybody needs Jesus. So as you watch what's happening in Israel, I urge you to pray for Jews to know Jesus as their Messiah and pray for those all around the world who hate Israel. Pray that those who are attacking Israel will surrender their weapons and surrender their hearts to Jesus. Let them be removed from the wild vines and grafted onto the true vines and bear good fruit. All people should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The righteousness of God has only been obeyed fully and completely and demonstrated perfectly by one man, Jesus. And that's because he's the God man and he's the true vine. He is the source of righteousness that every wild branch needs to be grafted into. And once we're grafted into the true vine and we are receiving life, then what an exciting life of fruit bearing we can have. We are just, just branches, but necessary. God's planned it that way. He wants to bear fruit through branches. We receive life from the true vine and we're cared for by God the Father, the vine dresser. So let's move to our next class in Viticulture 301 and what the vine dresser does. First fill in the blank there. God the Father is the vine dresser. And I just want to think about that word. My first study Bible in the old King James language used the word husbandman. So when I turned to this passage and read Jesus is the true vine and his father is the husbandman, I skipped right on over that word because it didn't mean a thing to me. The NIV uses the word gardener. I understand that one, but I still skipped past it. It just didn't make a big deal. I really like the Christian Standard Bible, and it uses the words vineyard keeper. That makes a lot of sense. It gets very descriptive. There's a vineyard. There's someone keeping the vineyard. But it is a mouthful to say. So I am learning to think of God as the vine dresser. The New King James, the ESV, the NAS, I'll use that term, the vine dresser. It has the word vine in it. So it makes me think of someone working in the vineyard. And it's easier to say. Over the past year, I spent a lot of time researching, studying the planting and growing of vineyards. I've looked at what we know biblically. There's a lot in the Bible about vineyards and vines and grapes and how they are grown. I've also looked at what we know archaeologically and historically and even how vineyards are grown and cared for today, modern day. So I know more now about viticulture than ever before, and I am quite fascinated with it. But I also have learned enough to know that it is extremely demanding work. It is time consuming and it is costly. And all that also points me to God the Father. He's got enough resources to do what he needs to do to care for his vineyard. My research has given me a better understanding of God the Father as the vine dresser. We should give as much attention to this description of God as we give to the vine and the branches. So I hope you will not and I will not <laughs> just read on past that 
short statement anymore. And by the way, this is one of Jesus's I am statements in the book of John. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. It's the only one of his I am statements where he says anything about the father. That makes it a big deal. It also emphasizes the relationship that Jesus has with his father. And this um, declaration and instruction to us is all about the union, communion, fellowship, connection that we have with Jesus. He's the vine and we're the branch. Abide in him. He's in this whole message to his disciples. He's emphasizing his relationship with his father and that the Holy Spirit's in him. So we're seeing an example of relationship. I'm, I'm, I'm pausing as I think of the word relationship because there are those who don't have a relationship. And once you do have a relationship, that is not going to be broken. So I tend to then say fellowship because if you're in sin and you ignore God, then you are breaking that fellowship with God, but your relationship will not be broken with him. Jesus' relationship with God was never broken. Jesus' fellowship was God, with God was never broken. And that's what he wants for us. He doesn't want our fellowship and that intimate connection with Jesus, with God the Father. He doesn't want that to be broken. So don't be a branch <laughs> separated from the vine, but you can't be if you belong to Jesus. Because if you're broken off, you're dead. So you're either connected to the vine or you're dead. God the Father is the vine dresser. He's really all about him and what he wants. What does God the Father, what does the vine dresser want from his vineyard? He's the one with the plan. He knows what he wants from the vineyard. His job is a hands-on job. You read a comment from a vineyard owner in your homework this week, and it says he has to pay close attention to his vines all the time, but especially in the growing season and especially at harvest time. The Bible mentions the planting and growing and harvesting of vineyards quite often. It's a regular part of the Israeli culture. Isaiah referred to God as a vine dresser in Isaiah 5, 1 through 4. And you'll hear several of the vine dresser's activities. So Isaiah says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved, so this is God the Father, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? He provided everything that was necessary, and he still does. He knows how to take care of his plants. <laughs> The passage ends, when I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? So I just want you to remember and to think on God the Father as the vine dresser. He's the owner. 
He's the decision maker. He is the one who has the plan for his vineyard, the plan for what he wants to do with the vine and the fruit. He's the one who plants it and cultivates it and waters it and watches it. He protects it from insects and from animals. He examines every branch. He knows every branch and makes decisions about whether that branch needs lifting up or training or keeping it for fruit. Is it a supporting branch or does it need pruning? He makes all the decisions. Jesus is the true vine. God the Father is the vine dresser. And we are branches who are supposed to bear much fruit. That is what every vine dresser is looking for. A great harvest. Well, now it's time for Viticulture 401, all about the branches. The branch doesn't do the work. The branch is just attached to the vine. The vine does all the work. The vine is the one with the roots that's bringing up the nourishment from the soil and sending the sap into the branches. So what are we to do? It's very simple. We must abide, stay there, connected, and let the vine, let Jesus be the source of all of our strength and all that we're doing. And that's what Jesus gave us this illustration for, to help us understand the Holy Spirit that he would send, that we have received when we believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the source of life and strength and fruit. Abiding in Christ is about our connection to him. You looked up the word abide in your homework. You found the Greek word meno, and it means to stay. Very simply, it means to stay. Very simply, it means to remain. We've seen in John 14, 2, that a form of that verb was used. The noun, mone, is related to that verb, meno. I've given you uh, phrases on your handout. It's actually John 14, 1. In my Father's house are many abiding places. Many places to stay. Many places to live. Mone. Many places to dwell. There is room in the Father's house, room enough for everyone who wants to live and be in the presence of the Lord. So abide means to stay, but it doesn't mean stay in a temporary basis like when you tell a dog, stay, (laughs) stay, wait, don't move, stay. Okay, now you can come get your treat. That's not the kind of stay. It's a permanent staying, living, dwelling. Many times this word minnow is translated and shows up in our Bible as dwell, which is also indicating live. That's the way this verb minnow is used by Jesus in the book of John. A form of the word is used 15 times in the two chapters that we've been studying. So it's a very important word. And if we could easily read the Greek, we would easily see this word repeated over and over again. Because 
It's not as easy to see it in our Bibles, and our Bibles have different translations, and even in one translation, they don't use the exact same word every time that verb minnow shows up. I've given you a list where I've used the same word, abide, every time. John 14, 1, and I think it actually is John 14, 2. John 14, 2, in my father's house are many mansions. So I have that wrong on your handout. In my father's house are many, my new King James says mansions. It's the word Monet. It's that place to stay. And in some translations, it says dwelling places. To show you the connection, I put abiding places just to show you. Jesus has been talking about this idea the whole time. Abiding, staying, dwelling, living. John fourteen ten. the Father, this is Jesus talking. The Father abiding in me does his works. John fourteen seventeen. Jesus is talking about the spirit of truth. He abides with you. And will be in you. And in that statement, the spirit was in Jesus, abiding in Jesus. And that's why he said to the disciples, the spirit abides with you right now, because I'm with you right now. I, Jesus, am with the disciples right now. And then the spirit will be in you when he's poured out. John fourteen twenty five. Jesus said, I've spoken these things to you while abiding with you, while I have been here living with you, staying with you, right here with you. John fifteen four. abide in me and I in you. You abide in me. John fifteen five. he's saying this to the disciples, the one who abides in me and I in him. He uses the word again, next sentence, if anyone does not abide in me. And you can tell I'm just giving you the uh, portions of the, sen- the verses right there. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. He is using this word over and over again. John 15, 9. Abide in my love. John 15, 10. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and abide in his love. John fifteen sixteen. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should abide. Your fruit will remain. It will last. It stays. It is eternally significant. This is lasting fruit that the Holy Spirit produces through us, the branches. All right, looking back at John fourteen ten, it says, the Father abides. I'm still using all of the Words that we have had exposure to in our definitions. The father remains. The father dwells in Jesus. And then Jesus said, I am in the father, in my father, and he is in me. What Jesus is showing us through this statement is the complete unity between Jesus and the father. And that's the example. He is showing us the relationship and the unity that they have. And then he's using the same word to show us what we have with him. John fourteen seventeen. He abides with you and will be in you. Again, Jesus uses the same word to dis- instruct the disciples in what to do after he goes away. Because now they're thinking, you're going to be gone. How are we going to stay with you if we don't see you? He's sending the Holy Spirit. John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me 
and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. When you hear these two verses, this statement, this declaration from Jesus, you know from years of speaking the English language, from years of hearing instructions, you know this is a command. Abide in me. It is. It's a command. Do it. That is what Jesus is instructing his disciples to do. Abide. This is an action. Jesus is emphasizing the vital spiritual union that we must have in him. He abides in us by his Holy Spirit. I hope you've got that point. It was made in your workbook. I am making it again over and over right now. He abides in us by his Holy Spirit. And we abide in him by faith, by his Holy Spirit. The last question on your handout says, is abiding in Christ a one-time action or something that is ongoing? This is not a salvation act. You believe in Jesus and then the abiding starts. It's an ongoing action. And to fill in the last two sentences on your handout, abiding is a conscious decision that we make to stay connected in fellowship. It's a conscious decision. So it is an action. It is an act of faith. It is an act of devotion and dependence. That's the very last fill in the blank. It's an act of devotion and dependence. The instruction to abide is so important for us that Jesus uses an illustration that is absolutely obvious and really totally simple. He uses the illustration of a branch on a vine. It's connected. That's the only way that it has life. That's the only way that it bears fruit. A branch gets all of its nourishment from the vine. It's nothing but dead wood if it's not connected. So it's really simple. And that's what we need to realize. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you get that connection. It's there. You are a branch on the vine. Then be aware. Believe it. Know it. Depend on Him. Don't try to be a branch that's producing the fruit yourself. That's not how it works. The branch gets all of its energy from the vine. So to abide is an action. It is active, but it's not a duty. Our fellowship with Christ is an act of devotion because he first loved us and we love him in return for everything that he's done for us and what he continues to do for us. And our abiding in him is an action of dependence, knowing we can do nothing without him. He is our source of life and love, light, everything. And what a blessing it is for us when we abide. I want to share with you how Andrew Murray puts it. And he puts this in words as Christ speaking. Christ said, abide in me 
I am the vine that brings forth and holds and strengthens and makes fruitful the branches. Abide in me. Rest in me and let me do my work. I am the true vine. All I am and speak and do is divine truth and giving the actuality, the actual reality of what is said. Only consent and yield your all to me and I will do all in you. It really is that simple. A branch. Let's divine do the work. Let us depend on Jesus, his Holy Spirit in us, to do the work in us, through us. That's where the fruit comes from. Do you want to be a branch bearing much fruit? I know you do. And it's to the glory of your father, the vine dresser, to bear much fruit, abide in Christ, and his Holy Spirit will do the work through you. That's all for today. Let me close us in prayer. Lord God, our Father, we do now understand more about who you are as the vine dresser. And I thank you that you are rich and powerful and have all resources and you know what you want from your vineyard and you have given the best, only pure, perfect vine for all of us to have as our source of life and dependence and you want to see fruit through us and you're going to do it. Lord, I thank you for your whole Bible, your whole word to us where the fruit is described, love. Thank you for the explanations about love that we have seen and the demonstration of love that we have seen from you, Jesus, as you laid down your life for us. Help us as we go out now with uh, thoughts and reflections of your word and your truth. You've got a place for us to bear fruit probably today, somewhere, somehow. And I pray that we will keep our eyes open for that and we will remain dependent on you and devoted to you and thankful to you for what you have done and what you do through us. And I thank you that you're the one that does the work. We just come along with you. I thank you for your word and for the teaching of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.